Well, thanks for that introduction, Taka. Awesome. How's everyone doing? Yeah? Can't really hear you. Yeah. A bit louder than that, I think, hey. Get a bit of gusto in you. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, the title of my message today is The Abundance of Grace. But before I get into that, you know, that praise and worship was quite awesome, actually. And I really, really, really sense the anointing. There's different anointings that come down, eh? There's anointing for prophecy, there's anointing for healing and all sorts, but this morning there's anointing for peace. I really feel the peace of God. I felt it once before, years and years ago, and I, and I feel it right now. So if you're seeking peace in your life, it's right here, eh? You know? You know, I think... Uh, yeah, so I just, uh, I just really feel God's here right now, eh? You know, last year was a pretty tough year for most people, eh? I want everyone to stand up. All right? You know what you do when you get knocked down and you've got dust all over you? 2021, do this, dust it off. You're saying to yourself, I'm getting right back up. This is my year. This is God's year. Yeah, awesome. You can sit back down. We're not going to put up with it anymore. I really do feel like God's saying, lay it down. Lay it all down. Lay down your fear. Lay down your sin. If you're struggling with sin, lay it before God's feet. Lay down your unworthiness. Lay it all down. Lay down your pain. Let me take it. I hear God saying, let me take it and let me do my thing through my people. You know, when we come into God's presence, there are usually two types of reactions, eh? Because when we first meet God, and the world's view of God is uh, pretty distorted, but when people first meet God, when I know when I first meet God, your first reaction is almost unworthiness because God is holy. That's your first reaction. He is holy. But as a Christian, sometimes that's where we leave it. You know, you look in the Old Testament, when God came down to his people, or a man of God, his first reaction was, I'm a sinful man, I'm, I'm unworthy to be in your presence. Am I wrong? You see, we've got to learn that God looks at his people through the eyes of grace. We're in the New Testament. God doesn't look at our outward appearance. He doesn't look at what we've done today. Do you know that whatever you've done today or this morning doesn't determine how you can come into God's presence? It doesn't change. You, might have, you, you could be the most unsinful person in the world. It doesn't change how you come into God's presence. You could be the worst criminal in the world. It still doesn't change how you can come to God. God's interested in our hearts, not what we've done, not what we look like, not what we sound like, not where we come from, not what our pasts are. He looks at our hearts. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. He knows our motives, and when no one else can see anything attractive about us, that's when he begins to move on our behalf. Look at it this way. Consider a field, a, uh, especially... When I, when I came from South Africa, in the winter months, hey, 
we had no rain, so the fields would dry up for the entire winter. Life would go out of that field. It'd be unattractive, it'd be brown. It'd be very insignificant. You wouldn't take notice of it. So in fact, you'd pass that field day by day and you wouldn't pay, make much notice of it. But then springtime would come, the rains would fall, the sun begins to shine on that field, the grass turns green, it becomes lush pasture land, the cattle begin to eat the grass, and the young soon, and bear young, sorry, and then soon little calves skip around their mothers enjoying life. That field is an example of the grace of God. You could be an insignificant businessman, tradesman, a stay-at-home parent, anything the world thinks, you know, the world doesn't pay much attention to us, does it? But then God looks at you and the sun begins to shine on you. Not the sun, the sun. He begins to shine on you. And not only do you become attractive to God, but you become attractive to those around you. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what your past is. When God's grace comes into your life, it'll transform you. I guarantee you, for those who are Christians in here, can, can, can pretty much testify from that. I know when God came into my life, I didn't get myself right to come to God. God came to me in my mess. You know, I didn't decide, oh, I better stop what I'm doing. I better clean my act up before I step foot in church. We've heard Richard Brown's testimony. You know where he came from. And God came miraculously into his life and changed it was God's grace. We've got, to, we've got to change our perception of God. Eh? He's not looking at your sin and saying, bad boy or bad girl. It's his love that is abounding towards us. He wants you. You know, right believing leads to right living. Eh? If you're struggling with sin and you've been a Christian all your life, then you need to question what you're believing in. Seriously, I've been there. If you're confessing your sin every five minutes and that's how you live your life, yet you're still continuing doing it, you need to rethink some things. You, you, you've been, the truth has been hidden from you or you've forgotten. The one thing I find that holds most Christians back is their past. Eh? You know, some people might have good upbringings and good past, but some of us can have some dodgy past and they're not proud of what we do. And usually the accuser or even people will use that against you to hold you back. You know, Paul, Paul the Apostle is one of my favourite people in the Bible, eh? and he was probably the biggest sinner out of the lot. I mean, he was, you know, if, if you don't know the story, he was formerly known Saul. He was persecuting the Christians when the new church began. He was a Pharisee. He would pull Christians out of church and murder them. He was not a nice man. He was not under grace. He was not under God's love. He was not under God, even though he might have thought he was. He was a man of, under the law. He knew the law inside and out. He was a Pharisee. But then God came into his life. See, Paul didn't get things right. He didn't stop what he was doing. He was on his way of doing it, actually. And Jesus came and appeared to him at the road of Damascus, and it changed his life. So how did a man like Paul, with his background, get such a revelation of grace and righteousness? And he wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament without condemnation or dwelling on the past. How did he do it? He discovered and understood the truth of the endless depth of God's love for him. 
He understood God's abundant grace. He understood that God's righteousness is a gift freely given to those who choose it. He understood the gravity of what Jesus had done on the cross. See, Paul explains his position in a beautiful way. When he writes his letter to the Corinthians, he confessed to them that he was the least of the apostles because of what he had done. He had persecuted the church. Paul knew that he could not boast in himself, but neither did he have anything to which to be ashamed. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I laboured more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Sometimes we tend to think that everything depends entirely upon us and what we can do. As a result, we become frustrated and disappointed with our lives. Because we're totally, continually thinking it has to have something to do with us or in our actions. See, if Paul had considered his past or focused on his past or continued to get reminded of his past, he would have been discouraged. But he was able to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Just come to terms with it. You are what you are. Everyone say, I am what I am. That's almost a relief. Isn't it? Relax. Everyone's different. You don't have to be someone you're not. God made you the way you are, you know. It's just that when you're with God, he brings the best of you out. Yeah, relax. Be yourself. Don't pretend to be righteous. Don't pretend to be a Christian. Just be yourself. There's nothing worse. See, not letting, not letting go of the past will keep you in a stalemate, which is, which is a chess term, which means you've got nowhere to move. There's no outcome. The only outcome is that you're just constantly in that same state. You feel trapped. You see, it's true when the Bible says the truth shall set you free. It does. When you know the depth of his love and grace, it shall set you free. It's, you should, we should be living his freedom out and continually learning more and more and more. We need to understand God's grace. His grace is sufficient for you. It never runs out. Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offence death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. I, just, I need a drink. Everyone say, I am the righteousness of God. Oh, you can say it a bit better than that. Come on. I am the righteousness of God. I'll get to that soon. See, God created Adam to reign in life, and he gave him dominion over all the earth. He gave Adam free will, or you could say the power of choice. So then God put something in the garden. Why would God do that? He did that so that Adam can exercise that power of choice. So Adam had a choice to obey God or disobey God. So there was a consequence, obviously. So when Adam disobeyed God and sinned, death reigned on this earth. It had nothing to do with us, we just inherited it. So the moment Adam lost his authority and dominion, the great love of God began to act on our behalf of all mankind. See, God never intended for man to go through life under the authority of Satan or any kind of his demon forces or any kind of darkness. We were not built or designed for that. We've got, to, we've got to understand what God has actually done for us in our position. 
We've got to understand that we're not a slave to God. We're his son and daughter. You know, uh, you look at when Jesus says to have childlike faith, I, I look at my kids to see how they react around God. Hey, they're not fearful of God. They don't have a sense of unworthiness. They're children. They shouldn't. They come to God. They sing to God. God's a friend to them. God's a father to them. That's how it should be. But for some reason, we grow up, we lose our innocence, and the world takes over, and condemnation takes over. Sense of unworthiness, you're a bad boy, you've done this wrong. You know, people are really good at pointing out each other's faults, eh? And Christians too, unfortunately, and we shouldn't do it. We've got to stop that. We should be looking at one another as through the eyes of grace. When I look at Taka, I see the righteousness of God on her. I don't see anything else, because that's how God sees me. When you wake up in the morning, you need to look in the mirror and say to yourself, I am the righteousness of God. You need to see yourself that way. You've got to reprogram yourself because we've been programmed in a slave system. Whether you agree with me or not, it's true. We're no longer a part of this system, eh? Romans eight fifteen to 19. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are, the, if we are children, then heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed share in his sufferings in the order that we may also share in his glory, I, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We're still in that stage, eh? All of creation is waiting for us to be revealed as God's children. But for in order that to happen, we need to realize we are the children of God. We're, we're the ones slowing it down. We need to get this revelation. We need to move forward, eh? We can do it. We're getting there. So we see there are two different spirits, two different mindsets that we can have in our approach to God. We can, have, we can approach them as slaves in bondage, or we can approach them as adopted children, free from condemnation. The spirit of slavery views God as a slave owner and his trembling subjects. The spirit of adoption views God as a loving father and his beloved sons and daughters. There is a difference between the way a son serves their fathers and the way a slave serves their masters. You know, a slave may perform duties, but a son performs acts of love. A slave dutifully obeys, a son gladly obeys. Slaves are motivated by fear and punishment. Sons are motivated by love of relationship. It's our relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, how can you be like that? you don't know God, then you're not helping yourself. A slave asks, what is required? A son asks, what else can I do, Lord? What else can I do? Because you, you want to. The spirit of adoption allows us to come boldly before the throne of grace. And you can check that out in Hebrews 4.16. As a beloved child runs to his father in times of trouble. I don't think we run to God enough. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his love toward us and while that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, grace is unmerited favour of God. Unmerited, undeserved. We didn't deserve it, but God gave it to us. 
which is received in Christ. We didn't get right before we came to God, like I mentioned before. God came to us in our mess, just like Paul, just like the disciples. The Lord Jesus Christ came to earth and offered himself as a sacrificial lamb. It was at the cross, the shedding of the blood of the spotless lamb of God, where the grace of God was offered not to one man, not to one nation, but to all mankind. To everyone, no one excluded. Romans 5.15 says, But the free gift is not like the offence, for if by one man's offence many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. The Bible teaches us that all men died spiritually when Adam sinned. God, through Jesus Christ, brings life to all who will receive him. His grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. The first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam, Jesus, was made a life-giving spirit. What that means is, uh, you know, we had nothing to do with Adam. We were born into it. There was nothing you can do. You, you, you could say, I don't want any part of it. You were still in it. The only way out was to accept Jesus. Now, what makes you think that you lose your righteousness because you screwed up today? Are you telling me that what Adam did was greater than what Jesus did? Think about it logically. It's saying in that scripture, much more. It's out of all proportion. God knows us. He knows our nature. He knows what we're like. Just because you screwed up today doesn't mean you've lost your standing with God. You can still go to God, and that's the point. That's the point. You can still go to God. I'm sorry, God, I messed up, but I can still come to your presence. That's the blooming point. I can't stress that enough. I've been trying it out this week, you know. I've been saying all week, I am the righteousness of God. No matter where I am, no matter what state I'm in, I'm going to say I am the righteousness of God. It's the only way to overcome things, eh? Because I can come to my Father no matter what. That's how God wants it. But we've been lied to. We've been lied to. Through the grace of God, we receive the Spirit of Christ. We are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. We have received the abundance of grace. No matter how dark or deep that hole is, God's grace just keeps abounding and abounding and abounding and abounding until you notice it. I'm sure we can all testify to that. I, I went into a deep, deep, dark hole, but God's grace got me out of it once I realized. He never left me. I thought he did. We, we walk away from God. God doesn't walk away. He's still there. All you've got to do is just turn around. He's there. You don't have to read your Bible every day just to try and get back to him. He's there. It's nothing you can do. We'll change that. We've got to realize that sin shall not have dominion over you. It has no more dominion. What Adam did is irrelevant to us now. It makes no difference to us. We have dominion now. Romans 6, 13 to 14 says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. We are under the law of grace. Stop living under the law. Stop it. I've been there. It's horrible. I know some of you are already there. You need to get out of it. That's not your position anymore. It has no power over you. you just, you're given it power by thinking that. 
It's horrible. See, Paul makes a point. First, present your members as slaves of righteousness. This means we don't show up to work for our old boss, eh? Can you imagine you get a new job, and on the first day on that new job, you leave work at lunchtime and you go back to your old boss and ask him what you need to do? Does that make any sense? It's the same with coming under grace. You come under grace, but then halfway through, you go back to the law. Why? Why? It's, uh, I've got a story, and I, I might have shared this before, but I think this is relevant. See, there's a, there's a story of a little bird that uh, it was hatched in a cage. This little bird did not know anything about life outside of that cage. He'd never been outside. And as he began to grow, he noticed some things on his sides. He wondered what they were. One day he learned that they were his wings and that they could lift up and down. One day he started lifting them up and down hard enough that he flew into the side of the cage. And day after day he kept doing that. And deep inside he heard a little voice saying, I am not made for this cage. But that was the only home he knew. Then one day someone opened the door and that that bird flew out of that for the first time. Can't you hear that little bird saying, this is it, I was made for something bigger than a cage? We were made, some, we were made bigger, not for the little cage we live in, eh? See, the devil has made certain the body of Christ is all caged up. We have been fed bird seed when we were made to be eagles. We're not little, tiny little birds, we're eagles, flying high, soaring high, the apex predator. You see, a person can officially be set free, yet still imprisoned. You see, it's like if a person lives in prison for many, many years, and then all of a sudden they're set free, they often still think and act like a prisoner, because that's all they know. See, the habits of freedom aren't ingrained in their life yet. If you're this person and you're still struggling with sin, or fear, or condemnation, depression, or whatever it is, know this, you're no longer legally or obligated to that spiritual law anymore. You're not of that world. You're no longer under Satan's power. He no longer has power over you. You are free. You are free. See, the enemy's trick is to keep us, to keep you in chains of deception, stop you from walking out of that cage, built to hide the great truths of God. Understand you're under new management, meaning under God's grace. All is forgiven and all of heaven is with you. Like I mentioned before, we've got to understand that when God looks at us, he sees his righteousness on us. All thanks to Jesus because Jesus paid the price. That was the price he paid. He paid the price for my sins, past, present and future. If you think about it logically, Jesus died before I was born. So he, clean, he died for my sins before I was even born. So it's past, present and future. I'm not saying this gives us a license to sin, and I hate it when people say, don't preach grace because that's giving license to sin. Well, you had the license to sin before that. It's, it's the opposite. You've, got it, you've missed it if that's what you think. Paul addresses that, and, and that's for another day. 
You know, he says, just because if sin abounds and great, more grace abounds, shall we sin? He says, certainly not. You've missed the point. Like I said, right believing leads to right living. If you're struggling with sin in your life, confess, I am the righteousness of God. Overcome the problem of confession. If it's, if you, whatever else you're doing is obviously not working, just say, I am the righteousness of God until it changes. Confess it. Start seeing yourself that way. God's righteousness is a free gift. There are no strings attached. Accept it. Embrace it like Paul did. Paul, the biggest sinner of us all, embraced it. In fact, he wrote about it. He got the biggest revelation of it. Not the disciples, Paul. God used them for a reason, eh? He used it as an example for us. You know, God has given us his grace, his mercy, his righteousness, so we can fulfill our purpose. But if you're not going to feed yourself spiritual food, you're not going to have the strength or the knowledge to move forward or get out of that cage. You can only be a newborn Christian for so long before things go south, eh? See, there's a grace period for a new Christian. I know because I've been there. And I don't know what the actual time limit is. It could be six months to a year, maybe even two years. But there comes a point where God's like, well, no, hang on a minute. You're not going anywhere. You need to grow. You need to learn what your position is. You need, you need to feed yourself. You can't live off milk. It just doesn't work. And I found out the hard way. I went downhill and I was probably worse than I was before I was a Christian because the devil just had his way with me. It's a horrible place. So I encourage you, new Christians, please, get into the Word. Get, get next to a leader. Come up to one of us if you want to mentor it, anything. Just don't go down that road. It's like the story about a roaring lion and a little puppy. Now, no one would ask which one would beat the other. We all know the roaring lion would win every day under the sun. But did you know you could probably change the outcome of that fight? All you need to do is stop feeding the roaring lion and start feeding the little puppy. If you're patient and continually fed that puppy week after week, he would become strong and healthy. And after a time, the lion would become so weak that he could no longer lift his paw. When we become a Christian, your inner nature is like that little puppy. It must be fed, taught, and trained. Your outer fleshy nature, like the lion, must be starved until it has no strength. I think that's pretty self-explanatory, eh? You see, the people who live without victory are those who feed the lion. They spend very little time in the Bible or Bible study. They are unconcerned about attending a good Bible teaching church. You know? Too many people get offended about what's been said at the pulpit. Oh, I don't like, I don't agree with that, I'm going. Get over it. Learn something. You probably got offended because God was trying to correct you. So, you know, you've got to get over this thing. God does correct us, eh? We do go off the path, and that's just like any good father, if he loves you, he'll correct you. So take correction, please. Don't get offended. Just get over it and, and learn from it. There's something there for you to learn. Don't get stuck in a religious state, eh? you just become stale and no one will want to be around you. You see, they sit in front of the television and feed their carnal natures by the hour. The old lion roars and then they wonder why they don't walk in victory. You see, what you feed your spirit is very important. 
The new inner spirit will not grow as, as you eat steak. It must be spiritual food. It's not, a, it's not just coming to church and listening to a message. It's about going home and doing some study or just spending time in the Word or spending time with God. It's about feeding your spirit with the things of God, whatever that may be. Instead of sitting in front of the TV, listening to all that garbage, just keeping you locked up. Yes or nah? Very quiet. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 4, 6 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Righteousness is a divine gift that Christ has placed on all those who yield to him in saving faith. Do we really understand the magnitude of this scripture? God is saying, I have raised you up with my son. We've been raised up. Do we understand that? Do we understand the other part? Not only has he raised us up with Jesus, he has seated us with him, not below him, not above him, with him, in the heavenly realms. We're yet to even scratch the surface of that revelation. Dwell on that for a moment. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. How powerful is that? We've got to wake up, hey, we're really, really powerful people. We've got to start seeing ourselves like that. We've got to start acting like that. But it's all out of love, eh? God is saying, I have raised you up with my son and I've seated you in the heavenly realms with him. We need to just dwell on that. So if we move forward, in Job, Job declares in Job 29.14, he says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was a robe. Psalm 132.9 says, Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness and let thy saints shout for joy. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation and hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Covered me with the robe of righteousness. All these scriptures associate righteousness with garments that are worn. If you look back in the Old Testament, the Hebrews, the Jews had certain men that were appointed to, that could go and be in God's presence or carry the Ark of the Covenant. They were, their priest was clothed in righteousness to declare them holy unto the works of God. They are set apart for the ministry of the temple. But in themselves, these, are, these men are sinful, but by the ritual of cleansing, they are declared clean and holy and therefore acceptable to God in his service. They had to go through this ceremony every time. Otherwise, they couldn't be in God's presence. In the same manner, Jesus has clothed his saints with righteousness of God, which is the spiritual veil that covers our sinful nature. When God looks at a believer, he sees the righteousness of God in Christ. There's no ceremony for us anymore. It's a done deal. It's done. He sees the righteousness of God and Christ. He will therefore not count us worthy 
of the punishment that he has reserved for the wicked. The righteousness, is, the righteousness is the basis for our justification before God so that we can stand without condemnation, though full sinful. God's grace begins where our ability ends, eh? When the situation is impossible, if you will believe, you will see the grace of God manifested. If you're tempted to be angry, allow Jesus to demonstrate his peace. If you're tempted to doubt, remember the life you now live is by faith. If you're tempted to give up, believe that you have his strength to go on. Our weaknesses are, are his strengths. His grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12, 8-10 Concerning this thing, I, plead, I pleaded with the Lord three times that, I might, that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reapproaches and needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Should we not say, as Paul said, I take pleasure in the midst of my need because I know that his grace is sufficient? God will meet my needs whether they are spiritual, mental, physical, marital, or financial. Not only will he meet my needs, but through this experience I'll gain confidence in knowing him. I'm coming to an end. So 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. There is no inefficiency in Jesus. His grace is sufficient for all our circumstances. All our circumstances. We must be informed from God's word of what belongs to us and learn to honour God by the way we live. Right believing leads to right living. God is not pleased when we disregard any of the great redemptive work of Jesus. He desires to bring us out of the realm of slavery and servitude and into the rightful position in his kingdom of God as a son and daughter. That's who we are. I want to end uh, on this scripture. I won't be up there. And I'll take it from, it's Romans 9. Romans 9, I'll read it from Romans 9.33. And this is Paul speaking. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is, a, it is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And then Paul quotes as it's written in Psalms 44:22, for, for, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present or things to come nor height nor depth nor, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing. No death, no life, 
nor thing to come, nothing. That's where I'm going to leave it.